Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. And today's episode, I'm really excited to have on my good friend, Dr. Jessica Schwartz. Uh, she is a physical therapist based right here in New York City. And today we are talking about common myths surrounding concussion and the treatment of people living with concussions. We also talk about her brand new resource for healthcare professionals called Concussion Corner Academy. Their mission is to nurture thought leaders across disciplines in compassionate care to enhance the provider-patient experience in concussion rehab. So this course is really great. She talks about it in detail in the episode today, but I'll give you the pared-down version. It's a 12-week beta program designed for the working healthcare professional who is seeking virtual support community and top-notch educational leadership in the concussion sector. Uh, she also has a non-for-profit partner, Headway Foundation, um, and this is a multidisciplinary faculty as well. So it's a great program. I'm a proud affiliate. You know, I don't uh, just support things willy-nilly here. I really believe in this program. I believe in Jessica. I know that it's going to be great. So if you want to check out more, you can go to the notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And in the meantime, listen to this great episode with Jessica, where we bust some myths and you'll learn a little bit more about Concussion Corner Academy. Hey, Jess, welcome to the podcast. Finally, I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I can't believe we haven't done this yet. I know. It's like absolutely insane. Um, and just so people know, Jessica and I both live in New York City and we actually see each other quite a bit. And this is the first time I've had you on the podcast, but I'm really excited to have you on today because we're going to be talking about concussion, uh, persistent post-concussion symptoms, and you'll talk a little bit more about that name change in the bulk of the interview. But before we get into some common myths around concussions, I would love for you to let the listeners know a little bit more about why you decided to really specialize in this niche within medicine and rehabilitation. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for the softball pitch, Karen. No, uh, for those that don't know, Karen used to play softball in Central Park quite a bit. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, thank you so much for having me on first. I've been listening to Healthy, Wealthy, Smart forever. So um, just thank you again. And yeah, I mean, gosh, I think back to, I was a, we were one of the first six residents, actually, we were the first six residents uh, in orthopedics uh, at NYU in 2010, when I finished up grad school and all that jazz. And we, I had, a, I got the dream job, right? Got the dream job. Uh, I had to leave New York City for it, which sounds crazy. Um, but I think a lot of folks can connect to that, you know, working in um, you know, the old adage we used to call mills and things like that, or seeing three or four patients plus per hour. And I was like, this isn't why I went into 
physical therapy. This is not why I wanted to do this. Uh, and I found this great clinic out in New Jersey during residency. And we saw one to two patients per hour and we had a support staff and they were emotionally intelligent. They were physical therapy owned and they let us grow um, and keep that like youth of excitement. Right. I don't know about you, but I'm hopped up on caffeine and uh, too little sleep as we launch a new business this, this week. But um it was great. And it really, it fed my soul. It was wonderful colleagues. And we ended up, um, I ended up starting uh, kind of in the opposite end of things, uh, a civilian prosthetics program. So I was, um, you know, volunteering and showing up at the Manhattan VA, which has a wonderful prosthetics program. Um, and then we also launched a breast cancer program and we launched a concussion program. So that was kind of like my first entree into concussion about 10, 11 years ago. Um, and we were the only, uh, we're the only office in New Jersey with that type of rehabilitative uh, practice approaching concussion. Um, and so very Dunning-Kruger-esque. It was like, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you kind of are made self-aware of it. Um, I got hit by a car. So I was hit by a car in uh, October 3rd of 2013. Um, and right before then, oh, actually, it wasn't even right before then, Kara. I'm sorry about that. But it was two years before. It was our last day of residency. We saw that there was a, um, a conference at NYU at the hospital, and it was on concussion. And it was NYU's first concussion conference. Now, this was 2011. So my best friend from Italy, Beatrice, um, you know, hi, Bia. She's in Luca. She's a great physio if you're out in Italy listening in. And we were like, well, do you want to go? And it was our first weekend off for residency. I mean, we were exhausted, uh, excited, and we we're like, let's do it. So we went to this conference. I fell in love with it. And so we were at least aware of what this program was at NYU. Fast forward two years from there, and I was actually hit by a car uh, here in Manhattan. So that's really where it's my life's work and passion has become because I actually live with persistent symptoms So uh, and went through quite a recovery. So that's kind of how it all kind of came together and coalesced. And when you suffered a concussion, and this was in 2013, it, did, you, did you have kind of the self-awareness at that time to think, well, you know, I've been learning a lot about concussions. I think I can, I can kind of help myself here. And did that then really propel you to learn more and to dive in even more? So when I was hit, I was hit by an unlicensed driver from behind and my airbags did not go off. I was in my uh, Toyota Prius. You may have even been in that car at some point. And I um, didn't think anything of it, but I knew I, when I, so the story is, is I, I got out of the car. I wore one to get out of the car. I got hit so hard. It was a, a stoplight at a red light. Wasn't looking behind me because we were just stopped and it was the traditional traffic, right? Care Like we're just inching forward. And I was probably on that block of 12th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue for about two or three light cycles because of traffic. So I just got walloped from behind. And so the New Yorker in me, right? So born and raised New Yorker, uh, you know, unbuckles the seatbelt and gets out of the car to give this guy the business. And I was just so dizzy, Care. And I held onto the top of the hood of my roof of the car. And I was like, I got to sit down. Fast forward, um, I thought this was, quote unquote, just going to be a concussion. And at that time, we really thought concussions were uh, pretty much resolved spontaneously within seven to 10 days based off of the literature from 2002 um, from Brolio and McRae et al. from the NCAA study. Um, but we know now that's false. And we have so much updated information we can chat about if you'd like. Um, so I thought it was just going to be seven to 10 days. I went back to work for, for a week. I thought... Um, 
you know, I would just be sore, kind of like a whiplash or like a doms. And no, it, I just kept decompensating. And then from there, it went from 10 to 14 hours of rehab a week for 14 months. And how did you continue to work and continue to function during all this time? I did not. So I uh, went off of, uh, I went out of work. Mind you, I was just promoted to junior partner the week I got hit. Um, so I remember I was like, uh, directing a prosthetics program. We had all these other programs. I just became junior partner, which would have been a profit share, um, with the company. And I loved my job. I would still send people back to that clinic, uh, those four clinics in New Jersey in Northern New Jersey. So essentially what happened was it was a conversation that went on for months. So I was on short-term disability for six months. And I say this to all physical therapists, physicians, OTs, PTs, whoever's listening to this, when you're young, make sure you have extended disability on yourself because it, our bodies are so fragile at the end of the day. And again, I was an athlete. I was a cyclist. I was training for a, uh, for a century bike ride and life changes in the blink of an eye. Um, and I was underinsured with a $50,000 policy policies for car insurance to go up to 300,000 to 3 million for certain policies. And it would have been an extra $12 a month. Uh, but again, you're a new grad, you're just out of residency, just out of, uh, DPT school. And, you know, you're just thinking about student loans and just being out of school. And so you don't really plan that far. So that's a whole other conversation we can have on another podcast. Um, so I was on short-term disability and we all know the, the legality of, and we all have our own cognitive biases about this, right? So when people are involved in litigation, we know that their care tends to go a little bit longer. So I just, I knew that and I didn't want to, I almost didn't want to set myself up for failure, right? I just wanted to be a good soldier, show up for therapies, neuropsychology, vision therapy, talk therapy, uh, vestibular therapy, regular musculoskeletal for the whiplash uh, therapy. And just be a good soldier and show up as a good patient, just thinking that I would get better um, and slightly and different than a musculoskeletal injury. The difference is with, with brain injury is that there are cognitive and behavioral impairments um, that differentiate those from brain injury from a musculoskeletal injury and rehab. Uh, on top of that, add the environmental aspect, and that's a, a whole other aspect of the injury. So there's no finite, you know, six to eight weeks of tissue healing or things like that when it comes to brain, brain injury. It's a very gray area. Um, so I was on disability for six months and then that ended and that was petrifying. So two weeks before disability ended, um, I wanted to burn it down. That's when I got angry. And I think that's when I really went through that whole grief cycle because I just kept showing up to therapy thinking I was going to get better. And then I did not. So, um, went back after 14 months, uh, I had the no fault car insurance, which helped pay some bills, uh, moved back home with mom at the time. And that was it. So, um, after that, when I went back to work, I actually realized I had a vision handicap with overhead led lights. So I still live with persistent symptoms. I still live with neuro fatigue. I still have an ocular motor disorder. Um, but we learn how to manage and cope and I have wonderful support systems and, um, uh, definitely a grit that a lot of people don't have as well. I think I'm missing a chromosome there somewhere. And, you know, and this was eight years ago. So I think it's important for the people listening to understand that, you know, when one is diagnosed with a concussion, it's not just like you said, over in seven to 10 days, or maybe a week or a month or even a year, and that there are symptoms that can persist. And I think that's a great segue into what are some common myths around concussion? So I asked Jessica, give me like maybe your top three common myths 
that surround concussion and, and post-concussion. So Jessica, I'll throw it over to you. Um, so what would be myth number one that is circulating out in, whether it be layman's uh, world or even the medical world? Well, um, I was actually, I'm going to give you something that we didn't speak about and I'll kind of combine uh, one mm-hmm. of them with three, but mm-hmm. um, one of them, I, actually two that we didn't speak, I'll surprise you as well. Uh, right. But there's actually no uh, evidence-based uh, definition, agreed upon international definition of concussion or traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury. And that kind of will segue a little bit into uh, two is that there's actually been zero phase three clinical trials on TBI and concussion in over 30 years. So when we're talking about research, I mean, talk about ground floor, ground level. I mean, we were in the basement 10 years ago, just not having any idea what we were looking at. So I even, I try to tell people like when we're talking about this and looking at the literature, the medical legal literature got a hold of this injury 50 to plus years ago. And it's been in the trapped with closed head injury and medical legal literature. Um, but really not until 20, 2004, uh, and on have we been talking about this as a rehabilitative injury and things like that. So, um, you know, historically when we don't know what to do with someone in medicine, we tend to send them down two trajectories. We send them, we allude that they're malingering, malingering or looking for secondary gain, uh, or we tell them that's all in their head and it can't be real. Right. So, um, that's what was kind of happening with these patients that we know up to 30% of folks now have persistent symptoms of concussion. They don't just spontaneously, um, uh, you know, in even two weeks, we even actually, cause we didn't really know what we were looking for, right? Care. So we didn't have an agreed upon definition. Um, so how can you know what you're looking at unless you know what you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so very important to connect to is that a lot of the, the mismanagement of concussion was so much more prevalent than a well-cared for patient. That's wild. And so before 2004, basically, if you had persistent symptoms after a concussion, it was like, good luck. Yeah. You you were alluded that you were faking it. You were looking Mm -hmm. at this, that it was a psychological injury. Yeah. Um, You know, and that that in and of itself is crazy making. Yes. Well, that's the whole thing the chicken or the egg. Right. And you Mm -hmm. can't deny psychological conversations when it comes to the brain. It's like, hello. Um, (laughs) how, however, um, you know, it's really the chicken or the egg. You have these somatic things that we have the ability today in 2021 in a well-versed, uh, clinician to validate the patient's symptom profile by doing targeted, comprehensive physical examinations as it pertains to concussion. So we actually, the best thing that we can do for a patient like this, and I'm sure you've had all the chronic pain people on your podcast and things like that is validate their symptom profile. Listen, Mm -hmm. you are not crazy for seeing words coming up off the page. No, you didn't drop some LSD or an illegal Mm drug. You have oscillopsia, you know, but the difference between the moderate and severe TBIs is that these folks have the self-awareness to know that something's not right, but they do not have the subjective language to express the what or how they feel uh, with brain injury. So what do we do all day, Karen? How are you feeling? What's your pain level? What's your number? Mm -hmm. How are you feeling? But brain injured folks do not have the subjective language to express that. So when they go to the mall and are fear avoidant of that, or they go to the supermarket and they don't like to be in a complex visual sensory environment because the colors may blur uh, and things like that, 
that is then looked at as a fear avoidant behavior. And that's been sent to psychological counseling for decades. Mm -hmm. So how can we as physios, how do we get these guys first and gals? Um, So not to deter too much to keep you on track, but those are two. uh, The first two is that there have been, there are over 43 working definitions of concussion. One of them is evidence-based and two, that there are zero phase three clinical trials uh, in over 30 years for TBI concussion. Wow. 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 Those are two biggies, two big myths. I, I would think so. And then I'll combine the last three because they're, yeah, they're quick talking points. So the third one is, you know, I really, I'm really into education, Karen. And I really believe that if we can teach one, we can serve many. Okay. And that's just what I've been um, privy to. And this implicit trust in the last I, like eight to 10 years with this injury is that I've been invited to all different conferences from emergency physician, athletic training, PT, you name it. Cause we all need to be on the same page here. So folks really need to, I I always say that we need to have a really humble approach when we come here because, um, and I I say this with kindness, but I say this very firmly, is that with concussion, we have infinite ports of access to entry to care, okay? You can go to the urgent care, the emergency department. You could even be at your OBGYN appointment and you might've had a fall and a ski injury over the weekend and your annual or biannual um, you know, OBGYN appointment, if you're a woman and, you know, you could have had, you could be presenting with signs and symptoms of concussion and not be aware of it. So I say that because there's infinite ports of entry, unlike cancer or unlike cardiology, you have a heart attack. Where do you go, Karen? You go to the emergency room, right? And then you see the cardiologist, Cardiologist. right. Or you get diagnosed with cancer at your PCP, or you start losing weight. You have some red flags showing up. Where do you go? Yeah, the oncologist, yeah. right to the oncologist, right? So that's a, that's a defined pathway with concussion. We don't have a defined pathway. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, however, it's where a lot of this mismanagement has come up over the last years and decades. And that's where patients start to suffer. And that's where in healthcare, we've actually uh, imparted uh, something that's called iatrogenic suffering, which is where actually the healthcare system or your doctor has actually imparted a, a way of suffering on a patient. Mm-hmm. So I bring that to our attention with these three quick facts. I'll say them quickly and then we can chat about them. Go for it. One, 2012, that's the number you got to know. 2012 was the first year the international consensus statement discussed the cervical spine in terms of examination treatment, that whole stick that connects the central nervous system to the peripheral nervous system and runs the autonomics up and down, right? 2012, we just started talking about the cervical spine internationally. 2015 was the first academic year in which there was a formal training for both TBI and concussion if you were a neurology resident. So if you were a brain physician in 2015, that was their first formal didactic year, they had training in concussion and brain injury. So just let that settle in there for a second, because that's that's just a wow. Uh, again, this is a place to build up, not tear down, but that was taking place within the behavioral neurology um, uh, section of the American Academy of Neurology. Uh, and the third one was that 2017 was the first year on the international consensus statement that we actually identified the uh, concussion as a rehabilitative injury, 2017. So like what? So if you think about it as physical therapists, congratulations, happy hundred years care. Uh, we just had our centennial, right? Mm-hmm. So we were rehabilitation aids literally in the trenches a hundred years ago, like now, and we were treating what we were treating brain injury. What are we doing in the ICUs? We're treating brain injury. We're getting them up. We're getting them moving. But what do we prescribe when we don't know what to do with someone in healthcare? Rest. 
So we now know that that's um, not the ideal thing to do beyond the first 72 hours. But um, yeah, 2012, cervical spine, 2015, brain physicians started learning about concussion. And 2017 uh, was, we called it rehabilitative. So that's my third. Wow. That's, it just seems like that cannot be possible. Yeah. And, and it, it seems like that. And cause we know better, right. But imagine then being, uh, you know, having deficits and having trouble thinking and processing mm-hmm. and what's our most valuable resource attention, but then you can't process. Um, so it's, it's so horrible when you're a patient and you have to negotiate the system. If you go through a no fault or you go through a worker's comp and there's mm-hmm. all these other aspects, you know, of that, of, of the injury. So I, I always say, sorry, I always say is that concussion is an injury of a loss of an I am. So you have to really pay attention to where your patients are in space and time when you, when you meet them. And it, it all seems to me like just not having a clear pathway to me sounds like barriers to treatment and barriers to, to improvement. Mm-hmm. And, well, and my question, I just, one quick question. It, if you, if the patient doesn't quite know who to go to, they don't know that they're, they, they have a concussion because some people are like, oh, you know, he got his bell rung or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they don't even go to see a doctor, but they're having some symptoms, but they're not quite sure who to go to. Is it that the longer your symptoms go on, the less likely you are to recover? So there's a yes and no answer to that. And I don't want to say it depends, but the good news is, is that we have folks five and 10 years out who may have not sought treatment like the patient you just alluded to mm-hmm. or sought treatment, then kind of plateaued, the brain wasn't ready yet. And that's totally fine. And we've got to tell patients that, you know, Hey, maybe we need to take three to six months and just kind of let this settle. Let's reset, regroup, and then let's come back. Uh, Cause the brain just may not be ready. You cannot force this. This is not about grit and resilience in terms of being sore and pushing through. You've got to listen to the brain. And I, I talk about it with like the knee effusion principle. You know, we have you know, I have a residency in orthopedics. So I talk ortho all the, t- all the time, although I love the neuro, the neuro world these days as well. But um, you know, it's like the knee effusion principle, right? You do too much, the knee effuses. We want to give it, if it doesn't uh, come down in two days, we did too much, let's cut it in half right? So it's the same thing with concussion, except the difference that's super frustrating to both patients and and clinicians that aren't in and know is that you can have delayed symptom onset. So you can do something within the therapy office, or they can do something like, for example, have a vestibular migraine where they feel good while they're walking outside and they feel okay walking. But as soon as they stop their body, like isn't really caught up to them yet. And then they get this vestibular migraine within 20 to 60 minutes. And then they feel like garbage, but then they don't know what even to associate with. And that right there, Karen will make you feel crazy. Mm -hmm. So, so it's very important to have somebody in the know, but you said something right before that question about barriers and you're absolutely right. There are barriers, but I'll do you one better is that we're not only have barriers to accessing quality care for concussion. We also have, um, iatrogenic suffering where they come and I, as a provider may not know enough about concussion to look at this from 360. So we have have providers that don't know, they maybe, maybe in 2021, we'll be able to pull up the um, international consensus statement, but that's only for sport and it's very limited. Um, so it doesn't go through the nuance of the suffering and the delayed symptom onsets and things like that. It's very uh, white paper-esque, right? Mm-hmm. So we actually then cause harm by quote unquote, just treating the neck, not looking at the vestibular system, not looking at sleep, not looking at um, the ocular motor system, not looking at the, is the, the migraine or aspect of it, not, you know, all of these other things and aspects, um, that make concussion concussion. So from a symptom profile standpoint, 
So phenotypically, I should say. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said earlier, you're all about education and, and getting people to uh, therapists and whether you're a physical therapist, occupational therapist, even a personal trainer, physician, really understanding the ins and outs of concussion. And so I'm going to, I'm going to plug your, uh, <laughs> educational, um, entity that is, that is launching and it's concussion corner Academy. And mm-hmm. so now I really like that you're coming at this from the patient and the provider standpoint. So talk a little bit more about Concussion Quarter Academy and what separates it from other educational programs. Because, you know, as you know, there's a lot out there in the world, right? So how, what, what is it about this that makes it different and that you're really proud of as you should be? Oh, I appreciate that care. And oh, golly, I mean, talk about like your life's work. Right. And I really, I just get goosebumps thinking about this and I'm like, wow, this is, this is really just a dream. Um, and I'll be very honest with you. This is a, we're in a pandemic still. Uh, some people may not want to admit that, but we're, we're still in a pandemic and we all kind of went through something, right. Especially in New York city, we really went through it, um, initially in the acute phase of this pandemic. And I did, I lost a good chunk of my practice and I had to really sit with myself and I said, gosh, Jess, what do you want to keep doing? You know, what do you want to do with your life? I had patients no less than four years, some 11 years as patients. And I was like, I'm not doing this again. I just don't have the energy. Uh, and that was from just, uh, like a, like almost like a burnout aspect. I just couldn't imagine re building up my, my practice again. Um, I have no problem seeing patients if they call me, but I have no desire to market. And I was like, well, my ideal life based off of my symptoms and persistent symptoms, um, you know, I really work every other day. So yeah, I can push through every five days and and do a regular work week if needed, but I don't feel well. And then I'm not pleasant. And it's just, you know, I I just know my, my limits. So with the neuro fatigue and the stuff that I live with, I said, well, what's a, what's, what's something I can do? Well, if I could work remotely, that was kind of it. And I said, how can I help the concussion community? So we decided, and my partner is a graphic designer and in, and to animation and editing and all of this stuff. We said, how can we make this beautiful and deliver it? Um, because the user experience was so important to us. And then how can we deliver it internationally to where it's accessible? So we're, we formed the Academy and essentially the goal has always been to promote healing, decrease suffering, increase support, and deliver it with kindness to this mismanaged patient population, but we need to have access. So I have a tremendous faculty. We're launching. We are. We have a nonprofit partnership. We have the faculty are actually the people on the international consensus statement. They're the people treating the, the boots on the ground. They're clinician scientists, and they get it. They get concussion, and they're vested in concussion. Um, so it's going to be a 12 week online course for our first cohort. It's fixed. It's from January 16th to April 10th. It's going to be two hours per week, one, uh, posted for you and one live on Sunday mornings at 10 AM Eastern, which will allow for our European friends and our California friends as well on the West coast. Um, and it's going to be 24 hours of CEU activity for, um, for, for uh, physical therapists and athletic trainers, as long as we have 10 OTs, speech pathologists, uh, neuropsychologists, psychologists, social workers, we can see you them as well. But it's the first round, so it's, it's kind of a lot of uh, investment here. So I'm just going with PT and AT to start, unless we have 10 of the others. And we're going to have a nonprofit partnership. But the, the beauty of it all is we're actually going to have... Um, 
uh, we're going to be doing research on our students. So we're actually going to be looking to change outcomes based off of evidence-based practice uh, and education. So we're going to be able to study our students uh, and then link up with our nonprofits as well to support them because it's really an underfunded um, uh, a sector of research uh, where cancer gets billions and trillions and, and TBI and concussion tend to get hundreds of millions. So we're really going to try and support the folks, you know, who are boots on the ground. I love it. It sounds so great. Where can people find more information about it? Sure. It's um, going to be, it, it, well, it's already at, it's at concussioncorner.org. Uh, org. If you follow the podcast, uh, we tried to give things away just like you do with Healthy, Wealthy, Smart. So we've had the Concussion Corner podcast since 2018. I hosted the um, Super Bowl concussion, or moderated, I should say, the Super Bowl concussion conference in Min- Minneapolis, and we launched it then. Uh, it's been around. We're in over 50 countries. It's been so well received. We have a lovely community. Uh, so we're going into education and how can we have a, a, a supportive community with open office hours and um uh, open office hours and things like that, that we'll, we'll, we'll provide for our students, um, with hope with eventually a rehabilitation video database where that's going to be searchable, uh, for folks as well. So they can search, you know, cervical spine examination intervention. What's the referral process look like? So it'll be a robust program, but we're going to be beta, um, in January with, I just want to point out, we're going to have a referral program. And again, I'm a, I'm a person at N of one, right? So we're not going to um, have an early bird special like we're used to at conferences, but the whole thing is to spread this word of mouth. So instead of taking $100 off, we're going to give a $75 referral. If you have seven to eight people that you refer, your whole tuition is paid for, plus you get your, your 24 hours of CEU. So we want really just want this to be word of mouth from, from like grassroots, let's build it by conversation and internal marketing and uh, get people in who are invested in wanting to learn about this injury. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, we'll have a link to it in the show notes here at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com for anyone who wants to learn more about the program and about the modules and how it's set up, um, or you want to just get some more information, or if you're ready, you heard this and you're like, I see people with concussion all the time. I'm not hundred percent comfortable. I need to learn more, or this is something I want to learn more about. I think now you have the perfect opportunity um, to learn. So we'll have a link there in the podcast notes for anyone who um, is ready to pull the trigger and join Jessica in January. Um, so it, now Jess, is there anything that you really want the listeners to take away from uh, this conversation around concussion and rehab of concussion? Um, yes. And I'm sure there's, there's so many things off the top of my head, uh, really connecting to that concussion is a rehabilitative injury. And if we can connect to that, the injury of concussion is an injury of loss. It's a loss of your, I am your, I am funny. I am husband. I am wife. I am doctor. I am surgeon. Uh, your I am. So if we are sensitive to that and connect to that concussion is an event, it's not an event. There is, it has to be a mechanism of injury. Don't get me wrong, but it's not an event. It's an actual process. And we have this neurometabolic cascade. And then we tend to have this loss of function in our, in our uh, environment. So that is really what I want folks to connect to, because we have to make sure we're meeting our patients where they are in their moment of recovery. So that's really the big thing to connect to is that folks tend to really connect to the event of the concussion, you know, the, the, uh, post-traumatic amnesia, the, the amnestic event, the loss of consciousness in less than 10% of those folks, but they're not connecting to where those folks are in their trajectory 
And how many folks have they seen before you? On average, people see six to 10 providers before they walk into my door. Okay, connect to that. Do they trust healthcare providers before they've talked to you? Did they have uh, physical therapy in a, in a hospital gym that wasn't really a, a neurologically sensitive to their needs, their smell, their sound, their light, things like that? So connect to your patients in a different way. I can guarantee you, if you're a new grad, this is going to get you excited. And if you're a little more seasoned like Karen and myself and you're feeling a little burnt out, this is a great way to look at your patient's 360. We're looking at autonomics. We're looking at neurology, vestibular, ocular motor, um, the physiological aspect of it, sleep, nutrition, neuroendocrine. Let's talk about sexual dysfunction and concussion. That's a whole other podcast. But it, it really is something that you can hear my passion about these patients are being mismanaged much more prevalently than they're being well cared for. And we can change that. And there's no reason that we can't change that for next day knowledge translation in the clinic. So I challenge your listeners to that care. Amazing. Amazing. And now I have one more question to ask, and it's the one I, that I ask everyone, and that's knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Let's say, you know, straight out of straight out of Ithaca physical therapy school. <laughs> um, let's see here. Straight out of stuff. Honestly, join Twitter. I ha- I've had ah. so many, I've had so many positive experiences, the 99 that I've had positive and the one negative, you know, uh, and you really have to conduct yourself uh, in a certain way, of course, but I uh, joined Twitter. I've had so many amazing opportunities. I was invited to the Super Bowl. I was asked to be one of our spokeswomen like you for American Physical Therapy Association. I've been invited to speak at conferences and and just network with people who I would never have access or touch points to. And uh, I really think it was the most powerful thing I've done for my education besides, you know, maybe a residency postdoctorally. So um, I really do. And we wouldn't have met the same way either. So I, I think it's been great. All right. Well, that, I think that might be the first time I've gotten that. Uh, what advice would you give to your younger self is to join, uh, join Twitter and join social media. So thank you for that. And like you said, you have to make it your own and you have to approach it, uh, approach it in the right way. So I think that's great advice. And now again, uh, people can go to concussioncorner.org to find out more. And of course, like I said, we'll have all the links at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So a big thank you, Jessica, for coming on the program, busting some concussion myths. Uh, So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, to all your listeners, thanks so much for your time and attention. I really appreciate it. Of course. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.